You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the PharmD Money Podcast, where certified financial planner Derek Delaney brings financial education and observation to help pharmacists navigate their most important financial questions. All right, we are a little bit past four o'clock um, Central Standard Time, so I'm going to get started. Thank you all for joining me today. I got a couple of questions from some of you before the event that I think will fit perfectly in this office hours. Uh, before we begin, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Derek Delaney. I'm the founder and president of FarmD Financial Planning. FarmD Financial Planning is a wealth management firm designed specifically to work with pharmacists and their families to help them plan their best future life. So this event is just an AMA office hours. I love holding these office hours and each office hours has a different theme. This one is an ask me anything type of event. So today I'm just going to go over four questions that I received from people and I'm going to talk about them, hopefully answer the questions to the best of my ability and to hopefully expand upon them to provide some ideas and insights that maybe go a little bit farther than what the initial question had. So to jump right in, I want to get to question number one, which is was sent to me. And the question goes, what do I need to know when it comes to inheriting an investment account? So this is a common question I get in my own financial planning practice. And it comes from people who end up inheriting some sort of account or investments from a loved one that usually passed away. And there is an easy answer and there is a more difficult, complex answer. So the easy answer is if that investment account that you are inheriting is considered a non-qualified account, it's quite simple. And non-qualified accounts, just for simplicity purposes, are accounts that are not retirement accounts. So 401ks, 403bs, IRAs, and annuities are considered qualified accounts, and those are treated differently than non-qualified accounts. If you were to receive an inheritance via an investment account, and that investment account is a non-qualified account, you will receive what the IRS deems a step-up in basis. So let's just say that I started with $5,000 and I invested in Apple stock a long time ago, and that stock has grown to $50,000, and you're the essential beneficiary of my account. I pass away. Well, before I died, I had $45,000 of taxable gain inside that account. I started with five, it grew to 50. There's $45,000 of taxable gain. However, because it's in a non qualified account, which for simplicity purposes, we'll assume is a non retirement account. Any beneficiary of this money will get a step up in basis, which means the IRS will basically eliminate that $45,000 gain in that account after the inheritee takes the money. And they will take ownership of that money at $50,000. And that $45,000 gain is just completely wiped off the books. So that is what they call a step up in basis. And that not only applies to investment accounts, but it applies to any other property that's considered capital in the eyes of the IRS. Now, on the flip side of that coin are qualified accounts, which again are the IRAs, the 401ks, the 403bs, and annuities. These have a completely different set of rules. 
Or let's just say I've been putting money into my 401k for the last 30 years of my life and I pass away and you're my beneficiary of that 401k. You now, the way the rules are written, have to empty that entire account within a 10-year window and any money that you take out of that account within those 10 years will be taxed to you as ordinary income, which means you could not take any of the money out for the first one to nine years. That money will continue to grow tax deferred, but in year 10, you have to make sure that account becomes completely emptied, which means you have to take one giant withdrawal from that account and all of that money will be taxable to you in that year which is going to skyrocket the amount of taxes owed on that money and your other dollars earned from things like your job. So it's really important from a planning standpoint that if you are inheriting investment accounts that are inside retirement vehicles like IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, you have a plan in place that you are going to follow when it comes to distributing money out of that account within that 10-year period as tax efficiently as you possibly can. So if it's a non-qualified account, you're going to get that step up in basis. You don't have to worry about a whole lot. If it's inside of those qualified accounts or an annuity, you will have to take on that tax liability that the original account owner had, and you only have 10 years to withdraw all that money. The way that the rules are written right now, they could change here shortly again. And that means that any money you withdraw within that 10-year period will be taxed to you as ordinary income, which could increase the taxation of other dollars you earn in that year. For example, from your job, more than what they would have been taxed if you never got that inheritance to begin with. And that's why it's so critically important to have a plan of attack and how you're going to handle those withdrawals out of those qualified accounts when you take ownership of them as the inheritee. Question number two, how do taxes on annuities work? Well, this one's interesting. Um, So annuities are a type of investment vehicle that can be inside of different kinds of accounts. So you can actually hold an annuity inside of an IRA. And if that's the case, all that money gets taxed as ordinary income when you pull it out because it's inside of an IRA. However, most people don't do that because the benefit of an annuity is Money gets to grow tax deferred as you're accumulating it, even if it's not inside of an IRA. So putting an annuity inside of an IRA is essentially like putting a raincoat on inside from a taxation standpoint. However, there are reasons why people own annuities inside IRAs. However, if you own an annuity outside of an IRA, it's considered a non-qualified annuity. And if that's the case, any withdrawals from that annuity just just random withdrawals are taxed in the form of what they call LIFO, last in, first out. So we'll go back to my original example. Let's just say I put $5,000 in an annuity and now it's grown to $50,000 and I want to start withdrawing that money. Well, the $45,000 of gain will be treated as if that money's pulled out first. So I will have to pull out $45,000 and all that $45,000 or the first $45,000 I withdraw will be taxed as ordinary income to me. And the last 5,000 will essentially just be a return of my principal, a return of my original investment that will not be taxed at the end. So qualified annuity versus non-qualified annuity. If you have a non-qualified annuity and you take withdrawals from it, the gain that is taxed as ordinary income is deemed to be taken first 
And all of that will be taxed until you get to what your basis was in that annuity, which is the original investment amounts that you put in yourself. That will not be taxed to you once you get to that point, because that will be seen as a return of principal to the owner. There's one important caveat that a lot of people need to be aware of when it comes to non-qualified annuities and qualified annuities alike is that if you are under the age of 59 and a half, you may run into the issue of incurring a 10% early withdrawal penalty. So annuities, because they have that tax deferred benefit, follow the same type of withdrawal guidelines as IRAs are very similar, which means that if you are under that 59 and a half age threshold and you make withdrawals out of your annuity, the IRS is going to ding you 10% in penalty for taking money out too early in life. So keep that in mind if you have an annuity and you think you're going to want to take a withdrawal out of that annuity at any moment in your, in your life before age 59 and a half. Question number three, I have a lot of debt paid off. What should I do with my excess money I have now? I absolutely love this question because most people come to me with this question when they've reached a point in their life where cash flow is a lot better. And that usually happens when big debts get paid off in their life, like this question is insinuating. And that usually comes in the form of student loan debt. So I know a lot of pharmacists that pay a lot on their student loans, and then all of a sudden they write that last check, they make that last payment, and their student loans are gone. And now that next month, they experience the, the gratification of having that excess cash flow that originally would have gone to their student loans, but is not going there anymore. And when you get to that phase in life, whether that's paying off student loans or getting some sort of raise at work, when you experience an increase in cash flow, it's really important that you have your priorities set straight in your life or you're part of a family in your family's life, because that should dictate what you do with that excess money. If there are important things ahead in life, you have big goals for yourself like retirement, well, then it's probably good to take that excess money and use some of it as investment toward those future goals like retirement. But what if you don't care about the future? What if you're more worried about enjoying life today for a number of different reasons? Well, then that excess cash could be used to align your current interests with specific action, whether that's making sure you check off items on your bucket list before you hit a certain age could be extremely beneficial to use those excess cash flow for something like that. What you don't want to happen when you experience excess cash is just kind of forget about it and tell yourself you're going to deal with it later. So what I find when people who use that approach is they end up having a lot more money in just cash sitting in a checking account or savings account with real with no real goal for the future and they're missing out on a lot of opportunity because the one thing they can't get back is time and the value time provides from a compounding standpoint is extremely beneficial and that's why having a great understanding of what you want to do with that money which should be derived from what your priorities are in life and what your financial future looks like will determine the answer to that question. And the best thing is there is no right answer because everybody has different priorities in life and everybody's got different goals. It's just hopefully you understand what those are. You keep revisiting those. So you're constantly deploying that excess cash flow to the areas in your life that are most important to you at that time. So that's my best piece of advice for that sort of question. Finally, question number four, what would you do differently with your money if you could turn back time and do it all over again? I, this is an interesting question to me because 
if I had to do something, if I had the chance to do something over again, just personally myself, through the eyes of a financial professional, um, I would go back to 2007. So I graduated high school in 2007. My first year of college was 2008, well, 2007 into 2008 year. In that year, my grandma's sister passed away and she had no kids of her own. So my grandma's grandkids were essentially her grandkids and she had a little bit of money left over after she died and she wanted her grandkids to inherit some of that money. So each of the grandkids, I think, got like five or $6,000. Well, during that time is when a really um, not well-known investment came to the forefront or became available, and that was Bitcoin. So if I could do it all over again, I would have taken that little inheritance at five to $6,000, which I used to pay for my college tuition. I would have not paid for my college tuition, and I would have used that money and somehow figured out a way to invest in Bitcoin. Because back then, you know, Bitcoin was just a fraction of the price it is now. So let's just say I had $6,000, Bitcoin was 10 cents. I could have bought 60,000 Bitcoin. And at current prices right now, that would come out to a little under a billion dollars. So if I had to do something all over again, that's something I would do differently. Knowing what I know now, of course, I didn't know that back then. Not a lot of people did, which is why they didn't end up doing that. On a more serious note, um, if I could do something just recently in my life, I bought a house eight years ago and I wanted to be very grown up when it came to purchasing my first home. So we bought, my wife and I bought a starter home and it's a really nice house. But knowing what I know now, I would have definitely bought a house that was more expensive, that was a step up from what we did buy, knowing that we were going to have a family and having more room would have been beneficial, especially knowing how cheap rates would have gotten, um, specifically two years ago, and knowing the value, real estate value, knowing how high real estate values would have shot up over the last three years um, would have made making a bigger purchase for a home um, a lot smarter move than purchasing that starter home, which is what my wife and I did eight years ago and where we currently live right now. So if I had to do something all over again with my money in my young life, one, it would have been taking tuition money from college and uh, putting it in Bitcoin or uh, buying a bigger home right away as our first home, knowing that interest rates were only going to get lower and property valuations were going to skyrocket. Because now, like a lot of other people, when you're looking at houses, it's really tough to pull the trigger on anything different because interest rates are so high and a lot of real estate property is so overvalued right now. So those are two things this financial advisor would do differently if he could turn back time and redeploy his money in a different way than he initially would have before, which I hope answers that question. So those are the four questions that were sent to me. I hope they help all of you guys. If you have any additional questions that came to the forefront of your mind while watching this, send me an email, shoot me a message um, on the RPHLA platform. I'd be happy to respond. And if it's something that's really interesting and really in-depth, I could do a video on that and send it out so not only you but other people can benefit from that sort of education as well. Again, my name is Derek Delaney. I am the founder and president of PharmD Financial Planning. Um, thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this Office Hours AMA um, event. I look forward to doing more. And until we see each other next time, happy planning. 
The FarmD Money Podcast is not intended to be tax, legal, or investment advice. All opinions expressed on the show are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for tax, legal, or investment advice.